Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to another episode of Problem Busters. I'm your host, Oliver Happy, with my co-host, Jonathan. How are you, my friend? I am good. Thank you very much, Oli. We've almost made it through the year, and for some people, by the time they listen to this, they will have made it through the year. Yes, we are at the... Uh Oh, well, what kind of period would you call this? Is it? It's not. It's not Christmas Eve, um, but it's. But the, it feels like it. It feels like it. Um, Every day feels like Friday. <laughs> oh, cool! You're telling me. You're telling me. After the year, I think we've all had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. So, congratulations to anyone listening. You have almost survived the pandemic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And um, almost. Uh, well, actually, when you listen to this, like we said, it will probably be uh, close to New Year's. So well done on not having that extra mince pie or well done on having that extra mince pie. That's you know? right, because you deserve it. You you, you really do. I've had a few myself, I'm, I must say. I... <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a time of the year to be, um, to be holding back. No, um, no. So um, we've got a few things to share in the nature of good news and uh, to end the year on a positive note, haven't we? So shall yes. we start with uh, positive news and claiming the right to repair? Yes, the right to repair. So, so what is that? The right to repair gives consumers the right, well, not the right, but it gives them, it allows consumers to have access to manuals and parts for products that they purchase. Um, this is really quite a big thing, I think, in the automotive industry in the US. In uh, Massachusetts, I think, was the first state in the US to pass a right to repair law, which um, forces manufacturers to provide manuals and parts to repair cars. Um, I'm yeah. not sure if it's just for like professional repairers as, as, as it is. Uh, we'll soon get to that on the EU legislation. But I think it's, it's, it's very powerful because as cars get more and more complex and they use more electronic components and, and, um, and custom parts um, like screws and bolts and stuff like that, allowing consumers to purchase those and repair it themselves or take it to an approved repairer, whichever whichever one, um, is hugely beneficial um, yeah. to the consumer. And it gets rid of that that nasty concept of designed obsolescence, right? Yes. Um, and we've all heard it from our grandparents and our parents, right? That they don't make things like they used to and and that, you know, I can remember my my grandfather had an um, a bread knife that he had bought in London, taken all the way on six weeks to on a boat to New Zealand and had, I think, lathed on maybe two or three new wooden handles over the life of this knife. Um, and it was like 20 plus years old and he just kept using it. And so to him, he just, you can imagine how he looked at cutlery that, that you buy and use for a few years and throw away. Um, it just seemed mad to him. And, and I guess our, our example of that from our generation is the iPhone, right? Where, yeah. where we want to be able to replace the battery and we can't. And, yeah. and if I'm not mistaken, this will force Apple and other organizations to, to allow us to replace the battery. Is that right? 
yes in europe um at least in europe which is um i think it's i think it's a great idea because having not only it kind of creates a paywall as well for these manufacturers especially these these new sort of technology companies where they will charge you an extra fee for a repairing service and essentially um at times it's cheaper to buy a new phone than it is to repair a current phone yeah which, which is, contributes to a mountain of trash a mountain of trash so the eu legislation um mainly focuses on washing machines manufacturers of washing machines this this uh dish washers oh televisions <laughs> lights and fridges um to allow them okay. to be easier to repair which is so, good because there's yeah. too much throwing away of kitchen appliances right it is the white goods i think in the uk there's that law now um which said that you can get a fine if you have any white goods on your in your garden or in the front front of your house you need to get rid of them in a safe and effective way um which tells you something about the the, the British gardens. I've got this yeah. image of like just rotting dishwashers in the front and but fridge actually, freezers. I, I do see quite a lot of this when I walk around. Um, yeah. So it is a it is a thing, um, and I, I like it. It comes from this idea, doesn't it, of um, the circular economy or um, cradle to grave or effectively manufacture all the way through to reuse, repair, and recycle, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I. My family and friends, we have a pretty strong network of tradesmen and, and skilled kind of... And maybe even some tradeswomen? Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Well, you know. We're re-educating ourselves as, <laughs> as, as men, aren't we? <laughs> yes. I know. I'm stuck in the, stuck in the old school mentality. Um, so we have, we have a lot of these uh, tradespeople or persons. Uh, and... For a while, I think we we had a lot of reused washing machines, dishwashers, um, fridges. I worked in HVAC for a while, which is quite interesting, um, which leads me on to the, my next point, actually. So there's a, there's a slight caveat to the EU legislation, which says it's only professional repairers that will have access to the manuals and the parts. Ah. Now, it got my sort of gears sort of turning in my head. And from what I know from the HVAC sort of industry, it's, I don't think it's as regulated as it could be. Which is what? Heating it, and air conditioning, is that right? Yeah. Uh, heat and ventilation, air conditioning. Yeah. Um, and they use refrigerants. Yeah. And these refrigerants, um, historically, uh, weren't very good for the atmosphere and you have to dispose of them in a sort of professional man uh, manner, right? So get the order refrigerant out of a system using some sort of vacuum machinery, <laughs> uh, package up, package it up and then get rid of it at, at a location. Right. Um, now that caveat with regards to professional repairers, maybe, you know, that's me being a uh, quite positive, <laughs> maybe because it makes the repair of these sort of, these white goods are a lot more safe because mm. you wouldn't want any sort um, anybody really messing yeah. around with refrigerants and these electrical items and stuff like that. Like a dishwasher and washing machines, if you're not a professional yeah. and you're attempting to repair that, that's water and electricity. And again, that's not very safe. 
and they're so, still extremely fast yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I do, I do get that. I do get that. But yeah. it's, it's the point is that it's, it's super important that manufacturers um, are required to care about and make things available to be repaired and maintained, right? Because that's yeah. that's the other thing for me. It, to me, it's a lot of a lot of it's not even repair work. These are things that we know will wear out, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. like a washer or a ball bearing or um, even a motor. Um, so why not why not rethink that and say this is just maintenance? Yeah, of course the parts are available. Yeah. Oh, I've got a question for you actually. Go on. Um, uh, as you're as you're uh, into into uh, product, <laughs> um, I heard. I don't know if this is a myth or not. Uh, maybe one of our listeners could probably write into us and let us know. I heard that we can create a light bulb that never blows out. That's true. But that's true. Oh, oh it is true. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, no, oh. I, I, I believe, and someone will be able to look it up, but I believe that Philips have had one that's run for a long time, like more than 20 years. Um, so, yes, we can do that. Um, that is an example of designed obsolescence. Um, ah. And, and, Interestingly, it took a long time to get to um, the LED light bulbs that we all mm -hmm. now use, right? Um, yeah. And I think one of the reasons for that is that the LED light bulbs last forever. Okay. <laughs> or, you know, or what is it, 10,000 <laughs> hours or something like that. Um, yeah. So there was a disincentive to the manufacturing industry and the electrics industry to, um, to sell um, fewer light bulbs that last longer, right? Um, mm. And, and that led to some legislation, I remember, in, in Australia where they outlawed halogen light bulbs. And I don't think that's the case in the UK yet, is it? But hopefully it comes No, soon. no, it's mm. not. But and, um, and hopefully, actually, I think um, the new fuel prices will probably... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's a real... That. The true cost of energy might be felt a bit mm. more by a lot of us in the, in the next little while, right? Yeah. Um, but but back to the, the point you were making before, there's this uh, concept of the Fairphone. Have you heard of that? Oh, no, I haven't. Fairphone, it's called. F-A-I-R, phone, as in fair and square. And uh, and it's now in maybe maybe it's about nine or ten years into, um, into a, being a project. And I've seen a couple of them. Um, an early one, which was really quite a brick, and then a new one, which is really just the size of a slightly large um, five or six-inch smartphone. But what's cool about it um, is that you can change the four or five different modules on the phone and upgrade them a little bit like pulling out a bit of Lego and putting another one in, which is super cool. So that, that means you can change the main board, which means you can make it faster in the future. You can change the amount of memory that it has, the camera module, and I, I think the charging port and the battery, because obviously charging ports wear out, right? Um, so the idea is that, that therefore I could keep my phone for maybe eight or 10 years rather than two or three years, which I think is really nice. So I'd like to see other manufacturers doing that and I'd like to see them being interchangeable as well. Wow. Because I heard of the modular phone, um, but I didn't know it was called the Fairphone now, but yeah, that's really cool because I, I'd imagine at some point you'd be able to recycle the module Oh, totally. Send it in and get an upgraded version, and that less sort of a that lower spec model could either be recycled or sold to somebody else who's looking for a part in that range in that yeah, sort of yeah, price yeah. range. And and I mean, a big part of it's going to be the battery, isn't it? So it'll be lithium yeah. iron, and um, those rare earth metals should be able to be recycled in some way, yeah. right? 
That's um, pretty cool. Could you yeah. just imagine scaling that up? Like you saying, you know what? I don't need this camera module anywhere. And then maybe somebody in South America is like, oh, that's a nice camera module. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, they order it and it's there in a few weeks. Oh, Could even create a good. community of, uh, yeah. of because we, we generally upgrade far sooner than we need to, right? Yes. Um, I, I'm imagining that, that there could be a real community of um you know, send your old phone parts to this person and yeah. and and then have a connection to them and know that you've helped them to get a smartphone put together kind of thing. That'd yeah. Be cool. um, awesome. I, I get that through Kiva and uh, and I really I just absolutely love it. Um, mm. That's got me through some of the dark days of lockdown to, to get a, an email that says, it's Kiva here, you've got a repayment. And then would you like to lend again? And then I'll click on the link and go in and decide on a country and we um as a couple generally lend to women because that's the um the sort of the microcredit model works best with women statistically in terms of uh the way that they use the money um and the the and how they build the community around them so i might find a woman in maybe vietnam who needs a mm. toilet for her house and it's 150 um, us dollars or a thousand us dollars and then a whole bunch of us will pitch in 25 dollars or 50 or whatever it is and uh and then at the end um that person pays it back and we lend that money on to the next person who needs a, a toilet um and uh and that's given me a real feeling for a small amount of money to me is a lot of money to them. And if yeah. I can keep relending it and keep that money working and keep it helping people, what a great thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Would you be able to, uh, I think in the show notes, that would be good if you, if we could have a link to, to that service in the, in the yeah, show sure. notes. I'll do that. So that sounds really interesting because I know the, the micro lending is huge in, in like um, developing countries as well. Yeah. Um, yes. Kiva.org. Awesome. I shall do that. Cool. Uh-huh. So moving moving right along and continuing on that concept. So thinking outside the box, there are novel ways that old red phone boxes are being used in the US, uh, in the US, in, uh, in the UK. <laughs> and uh, we all know, all around the world, people know these phone boxes, right? The red phone box. Um, and it's really cool to see them being reused. Um, I've only seen a handful when I've been to places like Scotland or Wales or um, out into the countryside in England where maybe they're using it as a a community library or something, but there's a lot more than that happening now, right? Yeah, I think the last time I saw saw one was... Oh, was it in the Lake District? I think that it was a it was an art piece, though. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it is cool. I think it's... it's, um, no, it's really, uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy it because it's something that's as iconic as the double-decker bus or mm. the black cab. It's yep. proper, proper Britain. That's proper <laughs> history. Yeah, yeah proper yeah. history. It's, it's just one of those things. And it gives you a, it gives you a, I think it just adds to the culture in terms of, you know, in an architectural sense, day by day, and in a sort of, city planning sense we're getting these these buildings i think it's changed slightly with with new technologies coming uh, come out in buildings um i mean in our catalog of our of our shows we had we had one purely you know a, a town built of um wood but mm. re, you know there's a lot of concrete and a lot of steel and a lot of glass and it creates a kind of gray atmosphere when you go to these super 
these huge yeah. cities like London or New York is just gray at some point and it's kind of it's it it's not very appealing um mm. to 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 the eye and you don't have a sense of of uh, a, a real community like if you've gone to Canary Wharf on uh, out of hours and it's just empty right that's yeah. not what you really want what you want yeah. is is just different things and having these um the phone boxes hold things like defibrillators just useful items books yeah, you can i love use the fact as... that bt only charges them a, a pound to adopt a box and gives them um, oh. electricity for seven years yeah yeah <laughs> that's amazing that's the community heartbeat trust yeah. charity yeah. isn't it um great idea aging yeah. population great idea to um to have defibrillators available for people yeah, I think so. I think BT of of um quite interesting with BT as well because they had those uh, around London, especially I think in Waterloo they had those. Um, they weren't phone boxes, but they had these phone towers which had advertising on it, and right. you could make calls for free or use the internet for free or charge your phone as well. That was pretty good. Um, I like you'd that. See, yeah, a lot of people who um um uh who were homeless. Um, we're using them to charge their phones and keep in contact with loved ones and so forth. And I think that's a huge benefit, huge, yeah. huge benefit, you know? Um, yeah, the the people who are not homed or the homeless um, challenge yeah. for society is not going anywhere, is it? Yeah, and, no, it's not. And, uh, and it's something that we have to solve together. And address. Um, yeah. Definitely. And bring it up in conversation as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know what? Um, talking... Um, talking to some of the homeless people around Brighton and Hove because they, it's a, an area that is quite giving. So people tend to go there to um, to busk and to beg. And uh, talking to some of the people um, that that we meet along the way, you know, the main thing that people say is, "I just, I just want people to look me in the eye and say hello." So even if I don't have any coins in my pocket, because often we don't these days, right? We don't even mm-hmm. carry wallets anymore. Nope. Um, we just, you know, if you, if you can just look them in the eye and say, g'day, mate, um, that's that's often nine-tenths of it for somebody who, as the, a couple of people have read out poems to, to myself and partner recently, and one of them was just about how strange it is to not be seen on purpose and and how just being talked to is just what, gets them back on the path of feeling part of the community mm-hmm. i think that's quite a nice thing yeah i think so i think so as well i think it's um there was a comedian who had a good uh good observation which was at times in society you are desensitized to something without realizing it mm. and one of them was um i don't know if it was sesame street but there was um like a grumpy puppet in a bin and it was oh it's grouch oh you're such a grouch why are you such a grouch 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 and nobody it was like a passing comment and this is a kid's show and his observation was hold on do you not do you not see that he lives in a bin <laughs> right you know what i mean and you expect him to be not happy a happy place day. to live yeah and the, and your interactions with him are not necessarily positive all the time you just always call him a grouch you know if you ever thought to address his issue you know it's like oh let's have fun and play football and he's like why are you making the noise oh you're such a grouch and he's just like well nobody's really said hi why don't you just move out and move in with me (laughs) or let's find you a place so yeah yeah, it's um yeah it's it's uh 
I, I understand and I understand um, the sentiment where it's kind of like you just look me in the eye and you realize it, uh, if you have a mass of people and you see somebody busking or or asking for help and it's essentially asking for help really and yeah. people are not giving you eye contact and walking by I've seen people on hot days and I was just like do you want some water and they're like oh yes please and you're just like all these thousands of people passing and they don't offer any water on a hot day mental yeah Oof. and and of course we know that um that so many of these people have just had a really difficult childhood um and they didn't choose that and yeah. that's got them to here um yeah. and they, obviously there's a variety of reasons but statistically that's a very um high probability right yeah and and uh, essentially yeah essentially they're people right and another person is just you in a different set of circumstances that's right that's right um, they could be could be anyone and mm-hmm. and some of them have the most amazing stories in terms of moving over from Scandinavia to the UK and um, and having a job doing this and then finding that um, there were things happening there that seemed immoral and so they didn't want to do it anymore and by taking the high ground um, they found themselves out of work and and here they are you know yeah. or they've become injured at work just honestly doing an honest day's work and here they are or other variety of reasons so spare a thought share a smile say hello i think uh, you'll feel better yeah. and they'll feel better too and yeah and push your companies and communities to um do what bt have done and uh make some sort of social impact yeah i like that cool so what else have we got cool. Um, we've got another one here, um, the Natural Health Service. Do you want to talk to that one? So the Natural Health Service, um, well, I think it's in Derby. Uh, <laughs> Are you not going to do the accent? Come on. <laughs> no, no. I... <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, my accents are actually, my, my, uh, Brit- my British uh, accents are not very good, unfortunately. Uh, Apologies to anybody first. from that part of the world, Derby. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's as close as I can get. Is a, <laughs> I, I have no idea. I, I love English accents so much. <laughs> absolutely love it. Awesome. Favorite one's Birmingham. Um, Birmingham. I oh, absolutely Birmingham? love yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Just, it's such a. It's so musical. But anyway, back to Derby. Back to Derby. Um, they have uh, approved the UK's largest urban rewilding project. And as we know, rewilding is um, leaving a field to go back to its natural state, I'd say. Do you cool. agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People outside the UK don't know that, right? Like I, mm. I'm pretty sure it was, it was all new to me um, when, I, when I came across the concept. Yeah, because for me, when I travel, you know, across, uh, <laughs> across the vast prairies, uh, when, I, <laughs> when I travel and I see <laughs> these well-kept fields, I'm like, oh... You, you you seem to I'm a city boy, right? So I have no real concept of of wild and and well kept. I just kind of think, oh, these are fields in the in in the countryside and whatnot. But there is an actual difference between a wild field and um one that's been maintained by a family or or, or farmer or or some animals and whatnot. Um and I think previously we had uh an episode on this as well with rewilding that it actually happens a lot quicker than anybody expects yeah um, it's exciting it's super exciting and i wonder if this is just an offshoot of that study which is kind of like oh it doesn't take that long let's let's do it 
Well, I think um, it's a natural it's a natural consequence of um, we have trashed the place, chopped down all the trees, and burned everything we could find. Right, which is mm-hmm. my summary of the industrial age. Yeah, um, that you can have that one for free. Um, and uh, and what comes after that? Ooh, we've got a lot of empty space, and it's not looking very healthy. And yeah. we'd like to clean the air, and we'd like to fix where rain falls, and maybe we need some trees for that. So it, it kind yep. of seems natural to me that there's this this desire for people to create green space. And maybe yeah. Uncle COVID has also helped with that because we've all been not spending our time commuting into New York or Melbourne or Sydney or Auckland or London or Paris or whatever, right? We've yeah. been looking around us and going, what is that field for? Why don't we put some walking paths through it and some mm-hmm. trees? And, oh, look, there's birds. I like birds. and It's cool. Yeah, and it's and it's um, carbon-friendly as well because um, – I think the the land that has been approved is Alice Tree Park. Alice Tree Park, which covers 130 hectares or 320 acres. 320 um, acres. That's a yeah, lot. That's huge. And to put that in context for people, the average um, the average house in New Zealand or Australia is generally on like a, a quarter acre or an eighth of an acre. So that would be like a, a three bedroom house with very little garden. that is more than a thousand houses that is huge i think we had a my family had a tiny farm in in jamaica which is like 40 40 acres um that's still a lot of area my my parents are on 10 acres and that's that's huge (laughs) if he's listening (laughs) that he's Um, got an awesome accent he's still keeping it he's he's kept it in the family so it's been a few generations now um so yeah one of the interesting things is that it includes a lake which is really good because that's um, sort of, I'd say, natural water. So where there's water, there's most likely more life. Um, so True. you that's like a watering hole. It could be a watering hole. Um, also, it's, it includes a recently closed golf, golf course. and Also known as a gopher course. <laughs> yeah, as a, as a gopher course. <laughs> Love gophers. Um, what I like about it is the fact that Golf courses take a there's a lot of upkeep. There's a yeah. lot of uh, a lot of carbon being pumped into that, um, as well as uh, I'm not sure in the UK, but I know in America they use a lot of pesticides and a yeah. lot of um, different chemicals to keep it yeah, green and keep, keep it kept. keep the weeds down and also yeah. fertilize. Yeah, exactly. And you're right, so, it's a lot of water because the I guess the challenge is that if you or I are walking around a golf course, we want it to be a nice sunny day in a nice sunny mm-hmm. place. Sunny places generally are quite dry, yeah. Um, and we want lush grass. Well, you got to use some water. Yeah. <laughs> and true story. There was a a very community conscious woman in Melbourne, um, and there's a large river that runs through Melbourne called the Yarra, and uh, and along the side of the Yarra was a very kind of colonial English style golf course. And at the time I was in Melbourne, so sort of 15 years ago or something, there was a was it that long? 10 years ago. I can't Ooh. count. Um, there was a an eight year drought. So during this time, people became really aware of use of water, and people would uh, do things like it was well known that you could only wash your car every other day, and you and in some places people were showering out of buckets, um, like it was properly water shortage. the The number that we heard every day was not the number of COVID cases; it was the 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 height of the main dam outside of Melbourne. Um, oh, and watching wow. that percentage go down and down and down and down over the years. It was pretty scary. And so she she took it upon herself to look at this golf course and say, why are the sprinklers on? 
during a drought oh, yeah. <laughs> after eight years. Maybe that's not a good idea. And she mm -hmm. um, and they had a talk about it, and and they realized that the golf course was so old that it kind of predated the whole idea of owning land and permits and things like that for um, for getting permission to do something. And so the golf course was just able to do whatever it wanted. And as oh, I understand wow. it, the water was coming out of the Yarra, so they weren't even paying for the water. Oh, um, and what? so when she raised this, then they were like, yeah you're going to have to pay for your water. Golf course shuts down. They converted it into a walking sort of area and a mountain bike trail. And now all of the public uses this area and it doesn't need to be watered because it's got trees and stuff. Cool, right? Victory. Good on you, love. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. That's so cool. Oh, what a story. What a story. I love a good story. Same, I, like, yeah. I like it when someone stands up for something they believe in and fixes things for other people. That's cool. Yeah, and the and the uh, yeah, and everybody else can enjoy it as well. I mean, oof. it's a big uh, deal. How long would it take you, just out of interest, to walk to the nearest park? Me, um, like uh, ooh, fifteen minutes you're maybe. Fifteen minutes. Okay. Beckenham Hill Park, I think it can get to. Yeah, I think it would take yeah. me about fifteen minutes as well, or maybe yeah. eight minutes to get to the the beach. But there's no green there, right? Um, ooh. So probably fifteen, fifteen, twenty minutes for me. Um, and that's probably too far, really, isn't it? We should be able to get to a green space quicker than that, I think. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But then again, I'm in an, I'm in a proper urban area, so I think um, yeah, it's but getting I think we could, better. We could have, yeah, we can have we can some green that, spaces yeah. quite easily, right? And this is yeah. where, of course, the conversation has come back to the the changes in the way that we're using cars, right? But but imagine autonomous cars um, don't need to own it. Order it like an Uber. And uh, and then and it's electric. Yes, Elon, we will have you on the show one day. And uh, <laughs> and and, uh, and your car turns up, it picks you up, and it takes you to work, takes you to the beach, whatever, right? Um, mm -hmm. Then why would you have a car? I would not. And then what's parked outside my house? Nothing. What do we do with that space? We could do so much um, green stuff, couldn't we? We could have green belts down the side, and we could have flower competitions and community gardens and markets and. I get excited. Ooh, that is so. true. That is true. I have a I have a similar vision, slightly different. I'm a I, I love hydrogen fuel cars. <laughs> okay, Ma mainly because they can fuel. You, yeah, maybe because you can plug your car into your house and okay. power your house from your car. Mm. Whoa, yeah, that's pretty cool, cool right? <laughs> I get someone on to talk about that for sure. And yeah, and you can revamp uh, current. Um, so the infrastructure you use for, um, in uh, I was good for yeah for for the actual um, fuel, like petrol and diesel. Oh, yeah. you can retrofit um, with little with little you know modification difficulty. Yeah, um, you can retrofit to to actually pump hydrogen into your car you just have to get rid get out of the uh just it has to be less explodey hydrogen just a bit a bit <laughs> tiny bit less explodey yeah, when you're it, manufacturing it and, and and putting it into into uh, these things but other was, than that i was talking to one of the engineers at work about it and and he was saying that uh that hydrogen for houses is becoming a thing as well unless i'm and completely spacing mm. and mixing my uh, my technologies, which is possible. And so he was well, saying, I think the that fuel cells you you can you get a tremendous amount of energy. Um, totally, so but, is... but, but I'm meaning hydrogen that's piped. 
Um, and oh, the idea, yes. And the idea is that we could use the natural gas pipes using the same concept, really, but in, Ooh, yeah, in the house true. supply, and we could put hydrogen down it. And the interesting thing is that, they, that when hydrogen burns, apparently it burns clean, and they're concerned that if someone burned that on their stove, they wouldn't see it. So they have to put dye in it. It also burns yeah. without a smell, so they have to put a scent into it. But yeah. It turns out that it's no more flammable than natural gas, well, not perceivably, yeah. and they already have to put a scent onto natural gas and yes. a color. So that yes. smell of I can smell gas, that is an <laughs> that additive <color. laughs> that, that somebody came up with and said, I wonder what the scent's called, the natural gas. Or the like, natural gas. It's like, you need to smell if something's really wrong and it has to be distinctive. It can't smell like flowers. You're, like, oh. you're just like, oh, what is it? <gasps> danger when you smell gas you're like i smell gas and everybody knows what you mean i think that is probably the the best piece of branding anybody's ever done <laughs> yeah genius bit of scent um yeah uh choosing S well done people yeah. <laughs> since since uh scent science tree <laughs> yeah doctor dr nose um dr. cool nose, dr. all right nose. and, and what awesome. else we got so okay. new HIV um, jabs are being taken two months apart rather than the drugs that we've had people on for a long time. This yes. is super exciting, right? Like, mm -hmm. it just seems crazy that in the modern age, when we're able to, in a year and a half, come up with a vaccine for something as awful as COVID. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that that's less complex than HIV. I understand HIV is a very complex condition um, and disease, but still, it's been a long time, right? Yes, um, surely we can come up with time. ways to help these people. So I'm super excited that there's this idea of an injection um, and that's just been given the green light in the UK and I'm sure in other countries as well. Um, and the idea is that they could have that uh, and instead of having a daily pill, they could have an injection every two months. And every two months, um, what a difference, right? Yeah, that would be really good. Because um, I wonder, I don't think um, they detail it, but um, the oh, there we go. Yeah, so it's the viral load that it that it um, that it manages, just like the pills, isn't it? Yeah, because I think the pills manage; they keep you in a certain range. From what I understand, with with HIV, from um, uh, <laughs> from from my school days, <laughs> is that um, is the viral load is what needs to be managed to make sure that it doesn't sort of get progress pro uh, progressively worse. Mm. Um, and the fact, because you would have to take these pills on, on a daily basis, if I'm not mistaken. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're yeah. expensive. They're expensive to yes, the person. They they're expensive to society. Yeah, very expensive. And there's what around 100,000 people in the UK um, mm. who are affected. Um so I think having a jab is hugely, hugely, hugely beneficial. I mean, just six times a year versus having to alter the, your lifestyle in terms of having to take these pills and be worried and okay, mm. as you know, yeah. I think it's. Um, I mean, obviously the pills aren't going to go anywhere. Um, I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, as as good as our NHS is they're going to be providing both alternatives, right? Because um, there's some people who are afraid of needles and don't, don't like and that's needles. Fair. And that's, that's fair. fair. Um, but yeah, no, I think this is a huge advance. Um, yeah. So thank you for The Guardian. We yes. like The Guardian. Good newspaper, yes, that. Good, good, good. Support it. Support it. And what you have you got? I have... Um, ooh. Should we Here go back go. to electric cars with Norway? I think so. I think so. How a pop star has helped inspire 
Norway's electric car revolution. Sounds like you're making it up, doesn't it? Yes. Let's just dissect <laughs> really that. Does. A pop star has forced Norway's government to bring in electric cars sooner. How did that happen? <laughs> I think I'll let you. Uh, I think I'll let you go through that one. All right. I've got the higher level of excitement about it. So, yes. so lots of people have heard of the band Aha, right? Take on me. Oh yes, I didn't know they sang that song. Absolutely <laughs> love it. Have definitely danced to that on a Kentucky bus around New Zealand because I told an Australian friend that I would quote unquote show you my country. <laughs> <laughs> and that was one of the songs. And every day we danced to that and the bus. Wow, this is a song of my people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my Norwegian people, as it turns out. Um, so there's so this chap who was the um, the the lead singer of Aha, um, and his name is Morkit, Morten Harkett. He uh, he effectively had a civil disobedience campaign that involved regularly flouting charges and their electric modified Fiat Panda. So this is some time ago, right? And effectively mm. what they did is they uh they um they they would uh they modified this car, they'd drive it around, eventually they'd get caught and the government would say, right, well you need to do something about that. We're not gonna we're not gonna allow you to have an electric car that you've modified, that's not roadworthy, we're going to have to sell it at a public auction. <laughs> so they would <laughs> confiscate it and they would sell it at a public, public auction and they uh, the, the band AHA would go and buy it at the auction as a PR stunt. <laughs> and they just kept doing this over the years and it built up all of the, um, the notoriety of this little red car. And, and that's <laughs> incentivized the government to... Um, and interesting, it was a very right-wing government at the time to to say enough is enough. This is just becoming a media fiasco. Um, <laughs> let's just start to bring in um, incentives for electric cars, charging ports, etc. So that's one of the things that's credited with with driving the massive adoption of electric cars in Norway. Wow! So there you go. That's love pretty... a good story. <laughs> good on you, Aha! Another reason to love them. Indeed, indeed. All right, think, what else we got? Um, oof, uh, where do you want to do you want to go to um, Dyson? Yeah, go on. Yeah, James Dyson holds an uh, uh, is it annual uh, an it annual is. award, various categories. Um, As in I the think, vacuum cleaner people, right? Yes, the vacuum cleaner, uh, the inventor, the brand, the people. The uh, the company, the innovators. Um, I don't know if I can say anything else, but um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so maybe but yeah. let's, let's have a look at some of the winners, eh? Yes, let's have a look. So I really like this one. There's a plastic scanner, um, which is a um, which won the sustainability award, and it's an open source design, which means that anybody can pick up the design and build it, um, and it um, it's a small card that tells you the type of um, plastic that you're looking at um, which and tells you how you can recycle it. So if you've got like a plastic carton and you're like, can I recycle this or not? It'll help mm. answer that question. Isn't that awesome? That's very good. That is very good. I think one of the, <laughs> my first my first thought that pops in my head is, um, these recycling companies will probably be using something like this. I mean, it'd be good on the individual if, if basis. If they aren't, they should be. <laughs> yeah, right. if they aren't, they should be because it'll be good for, for every day to figure out, okay, because right now everything has 
some packaging, some pieces of packaging. I'm not sure if you agree. If you if you've seen this, they will have a film that's not recyclable, and then they'll have half of it that is recyclable. Yeah. Some things will have a cap that isn't recyclable, uh, but the bottle is, and vice versa. It's so yeah. confusing. <laughs> I think I think that the desire to buy things that are in recyclable packaging is probably an a source of anxiety for a lot of people in lockdown. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and it has been for me, right? Because I'm just like, I don't, you know how the rubbish all piled up. I just, yeah. I don't want to contribute to that. I want some mushrooms, but I don't want layers <laughs> of plastic. That's what you're talking yes. about. Yes, yes. Yeah. So good on same. you, Jerry DeVos. Yeah. Well done. Yes, yes, A plastic yes. scanner. Um, pretty Lovely. Cool. And what do you want to uh, call what it? Else, what else do you have on there? Um, oh, there's quite a few, actually. Yeah. Uh, Have a look at jamesdysonaward.org. Um it's yeah. super cool. Um, yeah. I would nice. I would uh, I would advise having having a trawl through there's things from um <laughs> uh not prosthetics but uh but things to help mobility yeah. all the way through to is it saving bees? Yeah, I really <laughs> like actually... I'm looking at that one right now. Hive. Yeah. <laughs> um it's uh, it's effectively it looks and I apologize to all the vegans listening, but it looks a bit like a donor kebab. Oh, <laughs> you, know, yes. like, you know, where they cut it the does. meat off the side tells you about my lifestyle, doesn't it? <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's, it's a hive that is that sort of shape. And, uh, and inside it, it's super cool. It's, it's not like a normal beehive. Um, it's got like a honey room and then a sensor and then some insulation and a breed room. Ah, oh, it's so cool. And apparently, yeah. It uh, allows bees to be kept in a more natural way by supporting the natural behavior of bees, Apis mellifera. Um, it's made of sustainable um, materials, and it's got low-energy sensors in it. That's such a cool idea. Yeah. Good on you, Philip Pothast. You're yes. a legend. Saving, saving, uh, saving the bees, giving bees a home. Bees are super important, right? We all know this from the news. Um, without bees, we have um, a lot less... Uh, uh, fertilization and what's it called pollinization and therefore yeah, we have less flowers and therefore we have less crops it's such a big thing so when the bees yeah. start dying they're kind of like the canaries in the mine aren't they that the yeah. pesticides have grown in the in the environment and we need to do something about it so yeah. and the there's no way of replacing the yeah. there is no way of replacing it there's no, true. no way of replacing them uh, there's no uh, um man-made equivalent of colonization <laughs> unfortunately um but i mean fortunately it means that we have to take care of this uh of uh our mother earth yep another true awesome. story there's a part in the south of australia um in and south australia near adelaide called kangaroo island um so off the south coast of adelaide if you like and uh this island obviously had a few kangaroos on it it also has a massive population of ka of koalas and wedge-tailed eagles, which are the big eagles that the Americans listening are, are a bit like a, a bald eagle in size. They're huge and majestic and awesome. Um, and this island also has um, some of the most pure old-school English bees. And the reason is that when the settlers moved over, um, Adelaide was one of the free cities, meaning that it was not populated in any part by um, by convicts at that time. And so some of the settlers that came over bought things with them like bees. And uh, someone took bees to this island and they stayed there and there was no real cr crossbreeding with the bees on the mainland. It was just far enough offshore. 
and and that means that that uh, British beekeepers have been able to um, to to almost look back in time to like a medieval bee um, population. Cool, right? Whoa. Which That's is kind really of like cool. those people who found that really old kind of wheat. I think it's called spelt, um, mm. um, which was kind of medieval and had not been modified. It's kind of the same idea. Yeah. That's cool. Or Jurassic Park. It all comes back to Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's an island. Sign me up. <laughs> Full circle. Full Sign circle. me up. I'll be on the pre-order <laughs> list. <laughs> you only have small uh, dinosaurs, no problem. I still want to come. Yeah, you know what I mean? Uh, you've Velociraptors. Got, you've got half mammoth, <laughs> half elephants. Sign me up. Let's see it. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Oh, we should have added that to the to this uh to this episode actually. Recently I read it this morning. They found some um in the Cotswolds. Cotswolds, I think it is. They Which found is beautiful, a, beautiful yes. forested area in this in what, Midwest England? Yes. Um they've found um five ice aged mammoths. Oh, that's so cool. Or five mammoths from the Ice Age. Um, so roughly 220,000 years old. Wow. So That's about how old I feel at the moment. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just crazy to think that these, these um, titans were walking, walking around where we, well, you know, pretty locally, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, really locally. As a Kiwi, yeah. where, where we didn't really have many reptilian um, or mammalian uh, fossils, yeah. because New Zealand was had broken away a long time ago, right? Until oh, place yeah. um, and a, yeah. a group of uh, an archipelago called Gondwana Land, and then it broke off some more. Mm. So it was it was kind of before the big reptiles and things like mammoths that yeah. followed. Giant penguins, so, though. <laughs> there were giant penguins, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, God, I love penguins, um, mm. but uh, but it's super cool to come to places like the states or Canada or Europe or even South America and uh, and just see these dinosaur bones. It's amazing to think yeah. that those things were walking around. I totally get you. So, yeah, it's so crazy. Cool. One of the weird things as well is that back then everything was so big, and um, apparently there was more oxygen in the atmosphere, and uh, well, around where right? dinosaurs were. So this was a bit later, but yeah. And um, there's a link between like insects or certain insects and their size with relation to the oxygen in the atmosphere. So if there's more oxygen, these insects are a lot bigger. Wow. Like a cockroach could be the size of a cat. Yeah, I probably don't need to see that. No. but Let's not just even start people talking about spiders. <laughs> exactly. But that's why you probably think a lot of these phobias and fears could be um, passed down in our DNA based on what our ancestors probably saw at that time. When the spider would carry someone off. Wow. Yes. Or a centipede would just come and just, whoosh, you'd be like, whoa, this is wow. crazy. What happened you know? to Daryl? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There was a lot of legs, a lot of screaming. <laughs> Daryl's gone, mate. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, amazing. All right. Cool. And cool. what do we got next? Amsterdam's instant fix for getting rid of junk mail. So I'm old enough to remember when junk mail used to be a thing and when mm. spam email used to be a thing. Um, and Amsterdam is a super interesting city, isn't it? Like they really, there's lots of things that they pioneer in terms of the circular economy and that, that recycling of things and lots of good things. But in mm. this case, um, it's a case of how do we stop people putting um, 
putting junk mail into our letterboxes. So in this case, it was an 11 year old called Sky Neville who loved reading comic books, but got really upset about um, the publishers of Horrible Histories, um, a uh, a kid's sort of magazine, I guess, um, giving her free plastic toys. And she said, I don't want free plastic toys. And the publisher tried to brush her off. And so she started an online petition, rock and roll, and got more than 65,000 signatures. And Waitrose, one of the UK's largest supermarket chains, and also an amazing place to get your food, everything tastes good, um, they they stopped carrying the magazine as a result. Um, And even the Welsh Parliament took up her request because she's a Welsh child and uh, and continued a a ban on all plastic wrappings and gifts. Um, I think that's super cool, right? Mm. It's such such a nice idea. Um, And in... Um, in Amsterdam, what they have done is they have they've allowed people to put a thing on their letterbox to say, please give me junk mail. If they don't have that sticker on their letterbox and the company, let's say um, McDonald's, um, sends junk mail to that letterbox, then McDonald's has to pay, I think it's something like 5,000 euros for each infringement. And Ooh. imagine what that has done to the amount of junk mail that gets printed and wasted. So cool. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, junk mail used to be a huge. Remember when people used to have the signs, no, uh, no junk mail. Yeah, and people would still just stuff like pizza menus in your in your letterbox. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Apparently, they surveyed Germans, and Germans said eighty three percent of them said we don't want junk mail. Oh yeah, I think you'd probably get a similar result everywhere around the world because now, um, in terms of junk mail or i think a lot of restaurants were were, were part of it and and magazines and stuff and a lot of things have turned digital now so it's even easier to access it's easier to advertise and it's just less waste so that that's probably made a bit of a saving as well which is it's cool i need to fact fact check myself it was 500 euros not 5000 i wanted it to be 5000 and uh this this is a fact amsterdam is saving six thousand tons of paper and 700 trash runs as in rubbish truck runs per year wow one city six thousand tons switch all the paper to bamboo and that's even better (laughs) right Uh, yes but we'll do uh, bamboo another day yeah, I probably need to look at bamboo because there's a lot of uh, construction. Uh, there's a lot of properties in there. That's pretty good it's as well. It's a new steel, isn't it, Jonathan? Yeah, it's a new steel. New steel. Not just plywood. Also, I like, <laughs> I like pandas. <laughs> I love pandas. And what's yeah. our last one? Behind this last one, to you. one is BP and is it Maersk? I'm not really sure how to pronounce that, actually. Um, uh, tankers. It's Maersk. Hmm. Maersk. Maersk. Um, they've teamed up to trial marine biofuel um as a push for decarbonization and i think they did their they did a trial journey from uh the netherlands to west africa using renewable biofuel um, partly produced from recycled cooking oils which means they're probably using some oil that i had my fish and chips from yay (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> window into my, jonathan's well, diet <laughs> yeah there we go i think my first assumptions are it's probably a diesel right diesel engines or, or i think uh, probably yeah because it'll yeah. be big and low torque and, and and pressure to create that big bang yeah yeah versus, true it um, needs to have that yeah. strong housing doesn't it yeah. yeah um so i think they were supplied with um i think it was a bp marine 
uh, biofuel. Oh, B30. Here we go. Uh, consisting of 30% fatty acid, uh, methyl esters, FAME or FAME, blended with very low sulfur fuel. VLSFO. Well done to the people who named that, by the way. FAME yes. is a renewable Fame. alternative fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. How many the people in the marketing department are probably sitting there for weeks? Okay, what do we call this fuel? Yeah. <laughs> it needs to yeah. be renewable. It's gonna make us famous. <gasps> yeah. Sarah and marketing <laughs> used to work in uh, in a music label, can you tell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um so this is huge. This is huge because a lot of shipping um relies on uh our not so renewable um Diesel. fuels. Yeah, yeah, diesel stuff that you need to drill very deep, pull out, and then heat up, and then split out, and then barrel up, and then ship, <laughs> which is not the best, not the not the most uh, um, carbon efficient no fuel. Um, but and yeah, get, I think it, you get these crazy ideas too, don't you? Like, uh, have you heard the story of the sardines in uh, in Portugal? <laughs> Oh, no, I haven't. <laughs> I can't remember the exact details, but it's something like sardines are caught somewhere in the, by the Portuguese fleet. They are taken back to Portugal. Then they are sent to Germany where they get tinned. And then they get sent back to Portugal where they get consumed. <laughs> or something Oof. like that. Oof. Just because diesel was too cheap. Energy yeah. was too cheap. And so we it wasted was... it. That's quite funny. Do you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the, uh, the, the uh, trainer trainer manufacturing i think there was a person who um, i'm not going to name any names but it was a large um uh trainer like training shoes um manufacturer mm-hmm. and one of the f- first efficiencies a new person came in uh one of the one of the most efficient things they did um was hold on a second what are we doing they were creating a soul in like germany they were creating like the the materials in like India, another piece in China, and then they were shipping them to somewhere in Europe to put it together, and then sending that sample to the US. And they were just like, "Hold on a second, can we not just all do this all in the same country? It's a sample." <laughs> That's mad. <laughs> yeah, I was like, but "This what? is what this like... is what people do when it's not costing a lot, right?" Yeah, and, <laughs> and I would say when the the true cost is not being felt. Um, yeah. So we'll have to yes. do something on uh, 3D printing as well. We do. We, we do. Uh, we, uh, we I could even. Um, go on. Oh, so I say I could even bring somebody on who knows a bit about 3D printing. Oh yeah, do um, it. Do I, it. Just as a as a as a 3D printer themselves, but um, 3D printing is it's, it's amazing. Super exciting, right? Like it's, we it's like, we recently got wedding rings designed uh, in New Zealand and. They 3D printed the wedding rings um, and then put the real stones into them to see what they look like and then made them. (laughs) What? So cool. It looks like a kind of plastic. Um, Yeah, amazing. One thing I learned, did you know that the uh, part of the the boosters, the rocket boosters for SpaceX, for I don't know which one of their rockets it is. It might be quite a few of them. Did you know so they're who, 3D printed? Who, who runs SpaceX, Jonathan? Is that someone? Oh, is that is that is that Mr. Elon? Is that, is Mr. that Elon, Elon Musk? Mr. Oh. Mr. Musk. Would you like to yeah? have him on the show? Yeah, i be like, listen, <laughs> please talk, tell us more about 3D printing your boosters, please. <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's, i distracted you no uh, it's really can't, good can't resist it so so we're yeah. saying they 3d print part of the rocket yeah the boosters the how um the housing the parts that um are under tremendous pressure heat and pressure wow. um to 3d print them 
means that there's going to be less impurities or inconsistencies in the manufacture of it. Wow. And it's done in this kind of closed room with uh, small particles of, of metals and a laser. And the laser fires and fuses the, the, this powder together. And gradually it builds this, this, this single component. That's so Austin it's, Powers and I love it. Oh, it's so good. I was like, you're 3D printing part. Could you imagine going to Mars and it's like, oh, we need to, we need to leave. Where's the 3D printer? <laughs> and you just print yourself a rocket to leave. <laughs> Why? Totally. I mean, imagine, imagine um, even just simple things. I scratch my sunglasses. I need a new lens. Yeah. What yeah. do I do? Throw the sunglasses away? Take them to no. the petition? No, take it to Harry down on the corner. And, yeah. uh, and he just... You know, and there's his daughter yeah. sat on the machine. But would you like Ray Bans? Would you like the knockoffs? I'll have the knockoffs, thanks. Ba-ding. Yeah, you know what I mean. All full is. circle, full circle. I got the right to right to repair. Where's the manual? Where's the uh, the CAD design? You know yeah. that's been available on this manufacturer. Oh, I need to change this washer on the back of yeah. my washing machine. You go to Harry down the road. Oh, I'll print that up in five seconds. No need to get, no need to spend all that money and all that carbon getting something delivered from a factory and packaged and then, up. And, and just print it. 60 layers of packaging. Yeah. And, and what's really cool, it gets really sciencey, doesn't it? Because the, if you think about what you need to feed in a 3D printer, like what does it really need to make a, a bit of glass? And, and then it comes down to almost the elements, doesn't it? Like yeah. silica sand and, and yeah. a bit of this and a bit of that and some carbon um, tablets. That's amazing because we yes. we could just ship raw materials. Raw materials, yeah. To the corner and then, shop. <laughs> and then, you know, you know yeah. what what colour sunglasses would you like, Jonathan? It's pretty rare. Oh, it's, oh, it's going to be. We'll get someone oh, to talk about that. Yes, we will. We will. Awesome. So I think that brings us full circle. It does. To, uh, Yes. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Hope that uh, that those who are still listening, well done for getting to the end of this episode of thoroughly good news, and and also well done for getting through the year. It's uh, it's been a, a massive learning curve for all of us, hasn't it? And um, and we wish you and your family a really safe holiday season, don't we? Yes. Stay safe. Be happy. And love your neighbour. That's right. Love your neighbor. I like that. Let's leave it there. Thank you, folks. And don't forget to subscribe. See you next time. Ciao.